welcome back. And if you're new to my podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. I got a question for you, maybe two. Have you ever got excited about starting a new job? Have you ever dreamt of owning your own business and maybe have even taken steps to 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 go after that dream? Have you ever decided that, hey man, I've been out of the dating game, relationship game for quite some time and I, I think I'm ready to meet somebody. I think I'm ready to, to try that again. Then suddenly, as you start putting those thoughts into action and getting some momentum going, along comes self-doubt. Oh, that That inner critic, as I like to call it, that walks around with that self-doubt slash across their chest with all kinds of reasons why now is not the time, why you're not ready, why it's not the right fit. Perhaps you decided you wanted to get back on track with, let's say, health and fitness, lose some weight, gain some muscle, I don't know, get in shape, and suddenly find yourself doubting the success of it all because, well, let's be honest, after all, you've been there, done that a thousand times before, and it still hasn't worked out. So guess who's going to show up when you decide that you're ready, eager, and hungry, and motivated to, to, to finally get back on track? Yep, you guessed it. Mr. Self-Doubt. Miss Self-Doubt however you want to label it. I call it Trudy. Trudy's my inner critic's name. That's who shows up at your door ready and willing to quote unquote support you along your new journey. Sounds pretty fun, right? Let's talk about that today. But before we do, let me introduce myself. Hi there. My name is Dr. Kelly Ray and I'm a mindset coach counselor, notably known as the inner critic tamer. And I am passionate about helping others just like you and me who have survived things perhaps we don't like to talk about. But we know that if we do, it's better for us. We get it out. We heal it. We we make some shifts and changes and our quality of life improves and the quality and life of our kids improves. And no doubt it's going to positively impact the quality of the kids in our future. I'm obsessed with teaching others how to tame their inner critic, that inner childhood conditioning, or maybe adult things that have happened that have now caused some of these things to pipe up with our inner critic. And I teach you how to undo that crap that happened to you and continues to keep you somewhat stuck and teach you how to heal from it in order to live the vibrant life you were designed to live. And during this week's episode, we're going to be talking about ways to squash. That's not squash. It's quash. (laughs) Self-doubt. See, even right now, my inner critic's popping in my head. See, you can't even say the words right. What a bunch of nonsense, right? But yet, That little bit of nonsense is what holds us back so often. Self-doubt is the mental habit of questioning your own judgment, your own ability, and yes, even at times, your own worth. For example, suppose a new position comes open at your work. You know, that one that you've been dreaming about, the one you've been hoping to get that promotion for, the one that you've been watching for quite some time, dreaming about it, thinking about it dare I say, maybe even at times obsessing about it. As soon as there's an opening, you quickly send an email to your manager letting them know you'd like to apply for that position. But almost 
immediately after sending the email, your mind is flooded with doubts and insecurities and thoughts like, oh, I'm probably not as qualified as Sue is for this position. Uh, it's probably going to be a lot of work and I don't know if I handle the stress very well. Oof, what if I bomb on the interview? Then the boss and all the other managers are going to know either how insecure I am or know what a fraud I am. Because although I do have all of the qualifications that are on my resume, I don't really believe that I'm all of that, let alone a bag of chips, right? So later that evening, you send another email retracting the first one. You kind of feel this quick sense of whew, relief. But over the course of the next few weeks, months, maybe even years, you're mostly disappointed in yourself and ashamed that you weren't brave enough to go for it. <laughs> Here's another place where your inner critic Trudy will show up. Is then when you do see somebody get Sue's job and they have less qualifications, less experience than you. Oh man. The fun that Trudy will be having with you will be ridiculous. As someone who has both been there and done that, both personally and professionally, I've also acquired a lot of training along the ways that allows me to help people work through issues such as self-doubt to become more confident and self-assured. In this episode, I'm going to walk you through how to understand what self-doubt is, where it comes from, and then give you some practical tools for overcoming it. And of course, we got to start, where does self-doubt come from? Like all habits, self-doubt can come from a wide variety of sources. And in fact, no two people's struggles with self-doubt are exactly the same. For example, for one person, self-doubt may be originated in childhood, perhaps as a result of the way they were raised. On the other hand, self-doubt can become an issue later in adulthood in response to an unexpected crisis or stressor like divorce or job loss. What's more, the factors that caused your self-doubt in the first place are not always the same ones that are maintaining it now. Perhaps bullying as a child caused your habit of self-doubt initially, but as an adult, your mental habit of asking other people for reassurance is what's maintaining it. That said, there are a few more common causes of self-doubt that I see in my work. I see you know, in the day-to-day of even people that I'm not working with, you can probably, when you hear some of this, you might be able to see this, maybe not necessarily in yourself, maybe, but also may see it in other people that you know. So let's go over, I got three common causes of self-doubt. While it's important to acknowledge that many, many things can both cause and maintain the habit of self-doubt, There are three causes that show up over and over again in my work. Narcissistic parents. It's often said that we tend to repeat the mistakes as our parents. 
but it's just as common that we're so terrified of repeating our parents' mistakes that we swing to the other extreme. Often, children of narcissistic parents are so afraid of being narcissistic themselves that they go to the other extreme and refuse to give themselves any form of praise, credit, or congratulations, or even acknowledging their accomplishments. Number two, the drill sergeant theory of motivation. From a young age, many children learn that the best way to motivate yourself is to get tough with yourself. Like the stereotypical drill sergeant hurling insults at his new recruits because apparently that will make men out of them. Children learn to be overly critical of themselves as a motivational strategy. What's more, they often develop a fear that without that constant self-criticism and harshness, they'll become lazy and soft and won't be able to achieve anymore. Can we talk about maybe that being age-driven type people or people who are workaholics, just afraid to ever put that down because who are they if they're not always achieving? Number three, learned deference. Many children, unfortunately, are raised by emotionally immature adults who don't have healthy ways of feeling good about themselves. As a result, these adults often praise and reward their children with attention whenever the children go to them for reassurance. When taken to an extreme, this cycle creates a savior complex in parents and unhealthy dependence in children because the children learn that they can get immediate relief from anxiety by asking their parents for reassurance. They never learn to manage their own anxiety and make decisions in the face of uncertainty. Before we move on to looking at the different types of self-doubts, it's important to clarify an important question. What's the difference between healthy and unhealthy self-doubt? Obviously, the ability to doubt ourselves can be a good thing, right? I mean, that's kind of our, our uh, primal thinking is, you know, we're, we're making sure that we're assessing our risk before we make a decision. An example, uh, you know, healthy self-doubt would be just not blindly walking across a highway, a busy highway. It would be, hmm, I should probably look both ways, or hmm, I probably shouldn't be walking across a highway in the first place. The ability to doubt ourselves can be good. Without it, we'd become overly confident and end up making all sorts of bad decisions and unhealthy choices, such as walking across a a busy highway. Probably not a healthy or a good decision to do. While there's no complete black and white distinction between healthy and unhealthy self-doubt, here are a few general principles to keep in mind. If self-doubt is always your first reaction, it's probably unhealthy. If self-doubt shows up in many or all areas of your life, it's probably unhealthy. If self-doubt is persistent and you have a hard time managing it or moving your attention off of it, it's probably unhealthy. If you frequently regret decisions you made because of your self-doubt, it's probably unhealthy. 
If your self-doubt gets in the way of important relationships in your life, yep, you got it, it's probably unhealthy. If self-doubt has a major impact on your ability to focus and do your work well, yep, it's probably unhealthy. In short, use common sense to evaluate whether self-doubt is an unhealthy habit in your life. And I use the word habit because it is a habit. It's something that's been repeated over and over to where it's now something that you do automatically, almost like breathing without even thinking about it. And when in doubt, you can always assume that it's a bit unhealthy. Try to improve it, right? We can. We have the ability to break habits, change behavior. If your life improves when you've looked at things that you're doubting about yourself in an unhealthy way and now kind of learn to switch that and your life improves, that would suggest your self-doubt was unhealthy and that possibly you could benefit from working more on that. So what are the different types of self-doubt? Self-doubt tends to take three primary forms. So let's talk about those three primary forms. Number one, imposter syndrome. This is a really common phrase that we hear more and more commonly in today's world. Not that it probably hasn't always existed. It's just become a buzzword that I've, I've noticed over the last, I don't know, five, ten years that have become really prominent in and, and a lot of things. Imposter syndrome is the irrational fear of being a fraud or not deserving of your accomplishments. For example, no matter how far you climb up the corporate ladder, you constantly feel like you're not as good as your peers and that you're only one mistake away from being exposed and humiliated. Imposter syndrome is a form of self-doubt because it's generated by the habit of doubting your own accomplishments and your abilities. If you constantly doubt yourself, why would you believe that you're worthy of what you've achieved? I want you to think about that for a second. Who achieved what you achieved? Who put in the work that you put in the work to do? And remember, and you know, it's hard, you know, for those of you who, and I, I put myself in this category too, who tend to be those overachievers or overexcellers or those that go above and beyond. Sometimes you forget to stop and pause and, and allow yourself to, you know, dare I say, even bask in a moment of those achievements. You're so quickly willing to go on to the next thing that you haven't even allowed yourself to take credit for what you've done. Number two, self-sabotage. In its simplest form, self-sabotage is the tendency to undermine your goals and values. For example, after working successfully Sticking to your new health and fitness or diet for two months, you binge on junk food for three nights in a row. When you habitually self-sabotage yourself, you make yourself an easy target for self-criticism and doubt. And dare I say, 
oh good old Trudy, that inner critic, comes running in for the glory at this point. Number three, indecisiveness. Indecisiveness is when you consistently struggle to make an even small decision for a fear of making the wrong decision and whatever consequences may result. When you decide on a restaurant for dinner, then doubt the decision and worry about potential negative consequences, you produce a burst of anxiety. Then, in order to quickly alleviate that anxiety, you defer the decision to someone else, which relieves you of the responsibility for the outcome and lessens your anxiety. Unfortunately, in the long run, Indecisiveness only erodes your self-esteem and confidence and makes your habit of self-doubt even stronger. Can you see how our habits can build Trudy's, our inner critic's muscle, more than it builds our confidence muscle? So let's talk about signs that struggle with self-doubt. What follows, I'm going to here have some common signs and indicators that self-doubt is a problem in your life or someone you know's life. Difficulty taking compliments. If you consistently get anxious or ashamed whenever someone gives you a compliment, it could be a sign that you don't value yourself enough as a result of chronic self-doubt. Of course, Compliments can sometimes be uncomfortable for anyone, but if you regularly struggle to take compliments and frequently avoid situations where you might be complimented, this could be a sign of a problem with self-doubt. Number two, reassurance seeking. A habitual pattern of asking for reassurance when you're upset or having a hard time making decisions is frequently a sign of self-doubt issues. When you doubt your own abilities, it naturally produces anxiety. And the quickest way to alleviate anxiety is often to ask other people to make a decision or to tell you things are going to be okay. The problem is this teaches your own mind that your judgment is not to be trusted. And in the long run, this only intensifies your habit of self-doubt. Again, building Trudy's inner critic muscles. Low self-esteem. Many things can lead to low self-esteem, but by far one of the most common is self-doubt. When you regularly doubt and second-guess your own decisions and preferences, it's as if you had another person following you around all day telling you how dumb and untrustworthy you are. How many times has Trudy done that to you? How many times has Trudy been tagging along, kind of putting those thoughts into your head? Even if you technically knew it wasn't true, the constant doubt and criticism would start to wear on you emotionally. And eventually, it would start to impact your entire identity and sense of self. Number three. Nope. <laughs> Number four. Difficulty giving yourself credit. Similar to having a hard time accepting compliments, 
If you regularly struggle to give yourself credit for a job well done or simply doing something nice, it could be a sign of self-doubt struggles. When the habit of self-doubt gets out of control, it tends to squeeze out any other responses and doubt simply becomes your default way of interpreting anything you do or achieve. Number five, feeling like you're never good enough. In some ways, this should be obvious, but if you consistently feel bad about yourself and consistently doubt your own abilities and achievements, maybe there's a correlation there. The trouble is self-doubt, like many habits, can become so automatic and ingrained as to be almost invisible. Like breathing, right? You don't think about breathing. That's part of our subconscious programming. Is it our body already knows how to do that and our body knows how to do many things once we've conditioned and trained our brains to believe that, then we do that from that automatic state. I give this example many times, but when you get in, when you first learn how to drive a car, you're paying attention to where your hands are on the steering wheel. You're paying attention to whether you put it in drive or reverse. You check your mirrors. You do all of these preparatory things before you even drive out the driveway. You do those enough times repeatedly before you know it, not long, a couple months down the road maybe, you're just jumping in the car and flying out the door before... You've even thought, you've never even thought about those things anymore because you have practiced them so much. We love to be comfortable as humans, so we practice things enough so we don't have to think about it. That's what self-doubt does. That's what these things that I talk about have done. They've been repeated so long that sometimes we're not even aware that they're a habit that we operate from. But if, if doubting yourself becomes simply the water you swim in, it's hard to imagine how you could hope to feel good about yourself. Think about that for a second. So let's talk about 10 ways to free yourself from self-doubt for good. Just like there are many factors that cause and maintain the habit of self-doubt, there are quite a few strategies that can be effective in undoing it. The trick is there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. I mean, that's what marketing of anything would like us to know, right? Is that there's just this one, this one thing that you have to do, and you never have to do it again. You just have to do it this one time, and boom, poof, then better. It would be really super nice if it was that way, but it's not. And it doesn't work for every single person. There's, that's why there's so many different strategies or tools or techniques that those in my profession, we use because we're trying to cater it and customize it to each individual client. Maybe the symptom is the same, self-doubt, low self-esteem, unworthiness, feeling invisible, lacking some confidence in an area of your life. We bring in different tools to match that with you to know that you will be able to use that tool effectively. No single strategy works for everyone. 
at any at every stage, right? So maybe you use one tool now, but maybe when something comes up later down the road, we we have another tool, but we started with one tool, right? And then we build your confidence off that tool. So, along with being flexible, because again, if one solution doesn't work, we try another one rather than beating yourself up. So, if you've tried other tools in the past, there might be a new tool there and you might not be the same person that you were when you initially used that original tool or tools and so therefore maybe it's just a matter of having somebody help you tweak how you use that tool or maybe somebody gives you a new tool to to try and it works beautifully you are worth never giving up on and trying out new things my suggestion here is to a couple of things. One, from here for the rest of this podcast, either save this episode and listen to it over and over again and grab a couple of the tools. Or as you're listening to this and if you have time and you're not driving, I'm going to suggest that you write them down as we go as you're listening. Then pick one or two of them that seem like they might be most helpful and try them out for a couple weeks. Then feel free to add or subtract strategies based on your progress. And certainly you have the ability to reach out to me. And at the end of this episode, I'm going to tell you how you can do that. Once you find a couple that really seem to work for you, commit to integrating them into your daily life in small ways. So you ready? Let's go. One. And I know this one's going to seem so counterintuitive when you hear it, but just let me, let me put this out there. Embrace your self-doubt. Embrace that inner critic. Embrace Trudy. It sounds a little counterintuitive. I know that the first strategy I would give you is for freeing yourself from self-doubt and embrace it. Give it a big old hug. Well, bear with me here. There's a method to this madness. There's an important idea in mental health that applies extremely well to self-doubt. What we resist, persist. More than a catchy slogan, it's a fundamental feature of the brain that if we treat something like a threat, your brain will learn to think of it as a threat, which means it will be constantly on the lookout for for it and that causes stress and will pump you up full of that fight or flight or freeze inducing adrenaline each time you encounter it which is very stressful so if you get in the habit of immediately trying to run away from self-doubt say by distracting yourself from it or trying to eliminate it arguing with yourself about why it's dumb to feel this way, the self-doubt will only come back stronger next time. The antidote is to briefly acknowledge your self-doubt and let it know that while you don't like it, you're not afraid of it. Literally talk to your own self-doubt and say this. Hey, there's self-doubt. Or in my case, I say, hey, there, Trudy. <laughs> you're really not my favorite. But I get that you're only trying to help. Go ahead and hang out if you like, but I'm getting back to whatever it is that I was doing. 
In other words, to embrace your self-doubt means to acknowledge it and be willing to have it. And then to refocus your energy and attention on getting on with your life. Do this consistently and you will slowly train your brain not to be so reactive to its own self-doubt. And that will make it far easier for you to move past it. Number two, be skeptical of your thoughts. Right? We're skeptical of other people, but how often have we, are we even skeptical of our own thoughts? Self-doubt isn't a personality trait. It's simply a mental habit. Let me repeat that. Self-doubt isn't, is not a personality trait. It's simply a mental habit. It's a muscle that has been developed over time. Our brains throw thoughts at us all day long. Some are helpful, like, hey, remember to pick up milk on your way home. Some are unhelpful, like, why do I always have to be the screw-up? It's essential that you don't make too much of your self-doubt. It's simply a thought pattern that you've unintentionally reinforced and made into a habit. But at the end of the day, It's just that, a habit. A habit can always be undone. So try to cultivate a healthy skepticism of your own thoughts. Just because you have a thought doesn't make it true. Get in the habit of questioning your own thoughts, especially the unhelpful ones like chronic self-doubt, and you'll rob them of much of their own power over you. Number three, my favorite, give self-doubt, your inner critic, a name, a personality. Our self-doubt often feels incredibly powerful because we over-identify with it, meaning we often believe that we are whatever our thoughts say we are. But this is nonsense, really. Your thoughts are just things that your mind produces, much in the same way that your fingers produce fingernails. If you have an especially ugly-looking fingernail on one hand, you wouldn't assume that it means something about you as a person. Similarly, if you have an especially ugly thought that tends to grow out of your brain, It doesn't necessarily mean anything about you as a person. Remember, you are not your thoughts. To really hammer home this distinction between you and your self-doubting thoughts, it helps to separate them from yourself. And one of the best ways to do that is giving your self-doubt a name and ideally a bit of a personality. For example, as you've heard me say already, I call mine Trudy. Because for some reason, it seemed unusual and a little bit snarky. Now, to anyone named Trudy who may be listening to this, please understand, it's nothing personal. I did not have any kind of relationship with a Trudy that soured me or anything like that. Hell, you could even choose my name if you wanted to use that as your inner critic. It doesn't matter. We're just trying to to give that part of ourselves a name. 
makes it personal. The reason I opted to name my inner critic Trudy was a couple of reasons. One, I don't resonate with the newest teachings of identifying our thoughts as a monkey mind or a lizard brain. For me, it wasn't as personal like a relationship. And definitely our thoughts, habits, and beliefs are personal, aren't they? Of course they are. So why not cultivate and nurture this relationship with yourself? Here's an example of how I handle Trudy when self-doubt pops into my head. Sometimes meeting new people can be a little nerve-wracking and self-doubt triggering. And this is where Trudy will pipe in with things like, uh... What if I can't keep up with the conversation? I don't want to look like a fool or an idiot. What do I bring to the table that would make me of any interest to anyone? I will acknowledge Trudy's concern about meeting new people and that I'll be right there with her. There's no going it alone. If she continues to roar inside my head with more doubting thoughts and ugliness, I'll give her an option that, even to this day, still cracks me up when I think of the visual of it. I tell her something like, Hey, look, Trudy, I understand your concerns, so I have a couple of options for you. You can either sit in the passenger seat right next to me, or you can get in the trunk, but either way, I'm driving and we're going. For some reason, saying this to a monkey mind or a lizard brain just wouldn't have the same impact, which is another reason why I personified my inner critic. And I encourage you to do the same. Just just try it out. I mean, if, if monkey mind and lizard brain's working for you, great. But if you can make it real personal, as if it's a person that you're having that relationship with, and you are, then what a way to learn how to effectively communicate and and both of you be able to move on. Number four, restructure your thoughts. There's a powerful technique from cognitive behavioral therapy called cognitive restructuring that helps you retrain your mind to produce more realistic and helpful thoughts instead of overly negative and unhelpful ones. It's an extension of the last couple ideas in that it's important to acknowledge your thoughts as separate from you as a person and to not assume that they're especially true or meaningful. Cognitive restructuring takes this process to the next level by adding a third step. You can restructure a particular unhelpful piece of self-doubt to be more realistic and helpful. For example... Suppose after a difficult conversation with your partner, your self-doubt is creeping in with thoughts like this. Ugh, I shouldn't have brought that up at all. It's not that big of a deal. Now he's going to be angry with me all day. You might restructure that thought to be less negative and more realistic like this. It's too bad that he's a bit upset about this now, but in the long run, it's important for us to be able to talk about difficult things. I'm actually proud of myself for doing the right thing, even though it's emotionally difficult at the moment. When cognitive restructuring like this becomes a habit, you can slowly train your brain's automatic negative self-talk to be more realistic and helpful and less critical and negative. 
Number five, cultivate your sense of purpose. Nature may dislike a vacuum, but self-doubt loves it, right? It just will suck in all of the stuff and suck the life right out of you just like a vacuum. Let's learn to do something different with that. People who have struggled for a long time with negative self-talk, similar to self-doubt, often find themselves so consumed with avoiding the negatives, like negative feelings, negative thoughts, etc., that they haven't spent much time cultivating the positives, right? If we're always running from a saber-toothed tiger that we think is chasing us, we're never looking at the beautiful fields. We're never looking at actually what safety is already around us because we're too busy trying to run away from rather than run towards which is a shame because having a well-cultivated set of values and strong sense of personal purpose is one of the best ways to free yourself from self-doubt. Think about it. Did Rosa Parks have the courage to stand up for herself because she was really good at dismissing self-doubt? Or because she had an intensely strong sense of purpose she was committed to? Did Michael Jordan hit so many game-winning shots because he was really skilled at eliminating self-doubt? Or because he was continually focused on winning? And this focus on winning was supported by the amount of continual practice time he put in. Did Joan of Arc ride into battle as a 13-year-old girl because she was expert at overcoming self-doubt? or because her sense of mission and purpose pulled her past it. The point is, often the best way to deal with self-doubt is to out-compete it with a strong sense of purpose. In fact, the very existence of chronic self-doubt may in fact be a symptom of a lack of strong purpose in your life. Make some time to consider what really matters to you. What do you really want? What do you believe in? What's on your bucket list? What difference do you want to make while you're still here? Often, simply clarifying these values is enough to jumpstart a strong sense of purpose that will help pull you out of self-doubt and negative thinking. Number six. Spend time with people who believe in you. Jim Rowan famously claimed that you're the average of the five people who you spend the most time with. I'd like you to pause right now and jot down the people you surround yourself with. Who are you around the most? Who do you spend time with? Not just at work, outside of work, in your day-to-day or however it may be, what are they like? Do they follow their passion? Do they work on their relationships and themselves? Is family important? Is money important? Do they complain a lot? Do they sit around and wait for others to help them? Are they readers? Why do you align with them? The thing is, we as humans are social creatures by nature. Yes, even the most introverted of us all still need positive social interactions 
an affirmation. Unfortunately, though, many people who struggle with self-doubt are hell-bent on proving themselves as a way to quiet the self-doubt. But this can backfire because you end up surrounding yourself with people who aren't very supportive or encouraging, which then makes it hard to be that for yourself. On the other hand, if you step back and really ask yourself, who are the people in my life who really love me and support me and believe in me? And then make a conscious effort to spend more time around them. I think you'll find your self-doubt starting to weaken. Number seven, try coaching or counseling. Of course, I'm a coach counselor myself, so take this one with a grain of salt. But I truly believe that working with someone can be life-changing. Specifically, if you find someone who can help you work on your self-doubting issues, it can be like a rocket booster for your progress. Of course, we can all work on ourselves and do self-study by reading good material and trying to practice good mental health habits and techniques like the ones I'm recommending here. And there's nothing wrong with this, but sometimes a little expert guidance and support can make the progress much faster and much easier. There's something to be said about having an accountability buddy. There's something to be said about having somebody that kind of keeps you on task with your goals because we can be really good about skipping out on our own goals sometimes. Think about it this way. If you wanted to run a marathon but had no experience running, could you achieve this on your own? Of course. You could read lots of books, watch YouTube videos, try out different running schedules and diet plans, test a variety of different shoes and equipment, etc. But you could also hire a personal coach or trainer who could give you a customized plan saving you much time and effort and helping you avoid common pitfalls. Working with someone like myself can do the same for working through issues around self-doubt. Number eight, do the right kind of comparisons. If you struggle with self-doubt, no doubt you've heard the advice to stop comparing yourself to others. Well, that's fine. And while it's probably good advice in the abstract, Doing it is the hard part, in part because we are, as we discussed earlier, we're wired to be highly social creatures, constantly evaluating our standing in the tribe. So here's an alternative that I think is more practical and doable than simply trying to not compare yourself to others. Be more careful about whom you compare yourself to, specifically Try comparing yourself to the past version of yourself rather than other people. For example, suppose you just had to present at a meeting for work and the last slide on your PowerPoint didn't go over well. And sure enough, all sorts of self-doubt starts creeping into your mind and you find yourself comparing your presentation today to today's presentation that you did to Janice's stellar performance yesterday. Instead, try shifting your comparison to your own performance when you first started the job. 
sure, you'll cringe a little when you think about when you first started because you probably weren't that great at your job when you first started. But you'll also force yourself to acknowledge how far you've come and how much progress you've made. A far more helpful comparison. Number nine, practice self-compassion. There's a simple explanation for self-doubt that doesn't get talked about enough. Sometimes we resort to self-doubt because we simply don't have a better alternative. When self-doubt is your default and you don't have a clear idea of what else you could do in response to a failure or difficult situation, of course it's going to be hard to stop yourself from doubting yourself. On the other hand, everything is easier and we have a good positive role models. So it's easier to learn a new instrument when you have an older sibling whom you can watch and learn from. It's easier to learn how to lift weights properly if you have a personal trainer who can demonstrate the proper technique and form for you. It's easier to avoid self-doubt when you have a specific alternative you can reach for. And one potentially powerful alternative to self-doubt is self-compassion. Self-compassion is the simple idea that after a mistake or setback, instead of beating yourself up for it or doubting yourself, you could treat yourself like a good friend and be understanding instead. Here's a simple way to get started. The next time you're struggling or have a mistake, ask yourself this question. Hey, if my best friend was in this situation I'm in now, and they came to me with this what would I say to them? Then say the same thing to yourself. You are every bit as worthy of compassion as other people are. You are as worthy as the words that you would tell your best friend. Number 10, keep a self-gratitude journal. Something I hear a lot from my clients. I'm my own worst critic. All I do is doubt myself and put myself down. Why can't I be nice to myself or even be proud of myself? I know I've been conditioned and I've been told that that's selfish, to which I usually reply, how often do you practice being kind to yourself and acknowledging your positive successes? Crickets. For whatever reason, it doesn't occur to people that being kind to yourself and celebrating your own accomplishments is a skill you can build. Remember, we're building muscles here. We're taking muscles away from Trudy and we're building our own self-confidence muscles along the way. But like most skills, it doesn't just magically happen. It's not a one and done. You have to actually practice it and you have to actually do it consistently in order for it to become what? A habit. A great little habit to get into that will help you avoid self-doubt and actually improve your self-esteem is keeping a self-gratitude journal. Now you've probably heard me or others talk about the idea of having a gratitude journal where you spend a few minutes at the end of each day and jot down one or two things or five things you're grateful for. Well, I'd like you to add on to that. And if you're not already doing that, I'm going to encourage you to do that. And then add on to that with a self-gratitude journal 
as well. But the focus is on you specifically and things you, about you that you're grateful for. So yourself, your gratitude journal is going to be one or two or five things that you were grateful for the day. And the self-gratituding of that journaling will be the things that you are proud of yourself for or grateful that you did. It's, it can be simple. It can be a simple and easy to track. At the end of the day, list one or two things you're proud of yourself for. They don't have to be things big. They, you can be proud of yourself for remembering to take out the trash. You can be proud of yourself that you remembered to get the milk on the way home. It doesn't have to be big. Look, we don't build big muscles by just immediately lifting big weights. No, they start off lighter and after practice and after consistent usage, then you can add on more weight. You can add on more things. Right now, we're setting the foundation, a solid foundation by you doing just these things get in the habit of actually practicing being proud of yourself and you'll find it's far easier to dismiss your self-doubt and remind yourself of the reasons you have to be confident in yourself instead and again I, i'm not perfect i experience these exact same things that i'm sharing with you excuse me i need some water they th you know, maybe one of the differences is, is I have these tools that I implement now that, you know, what used to take me weeks or months or maybe even years getting over, I can do in a much shorter period of time, maybe within 10 minutes, maybe within an hour, maybe within a day. It just depends on what the situation is where Trudy really reared her head and really came at me with self-doubt or feelings of not good enough or whatever it happens but having these tools to be able to shortcut through it and cut through all the bs so that you can get back to living your vibrant life is so much better than years of misery years of depression years of anxiety years of stress that is so heavy and a burdensome thing that we, we don't have to keep carrying around at the end of the day, self-doubt is a habit. Nothing more, nothing less. And regardless of where it came from, you can work to free yourself from chronic self-doubt by building better habits. And if you found this helpful or know someone who could use a little extra support along the way, I'm going to encourage you to share this podcast. Moreover, if you'd like to get in touch with me and if there's something I can help you with, I'm going to give you some ways that you can to reach me and connect with me. I'm on Instagram at Ask Dr. Kelly Ray. It's D-R-K-E-L-L-Y-R-A-E. I'm on Facebook at Dr. Kelly Ray B, B as in brown. My website is drkellyray.com. And my email is drkellyray at gmail.com. Until next time, please know I send you so much love.